Saint Bernadette once said, I work, I suffer, and I love with no other witness than his heart. Welcome to the 12th episode of St. Dymphna's Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because a lot of us think we can just overcome our mental health symptoms on our own, by our own power. But in reality, healing can only be achieved through his sacred heart and that heart reaching us through the loving and compassionate help of others. We like to kick it off here with a quick refresh of our notifications, it's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, Andy DM'd. If you haven't addressed this already, maybe talk about how Jesus wants us to trust in him. I find that it helps a lot with my anxiety to read about how Jesus told us to trust, not only in the Gospels, but in things like St. Faustina's Diary on Divine Mercy. Thanks for making sure we kick things off, Catholic Andy. Jesus, I trust in you. A short but incredibly powerful prayer. And in truth, when my family was going through a time of great suffering, these words from the image of Divine Mercy were the only prayer I could find the strength to mutter. I didn't actually trust in him at the time, if I'm being honest, but you know, fake it till you make it, right? I really wanted to trust in him, but given the circumstances, I didn't see how I possibly could. And since I was feeling like I couldn't even bring myself to pray, I had to move even further back to the first step in trying to move closer to trusting in God, asking other people to pray for me. And then step two, spending a couple of minutes each day meditating on the image of divine mercy and the message at the bottom of the image, letting it sink in, just letting the Lord do the work even though I wasn't feeling it. You could even add in a little deep breathing exercise to help you out if you inhale slowly while saying, Jesus, and exhale even more slowly while saying, I trust in you. Another angle on this popped up for me during this time in my life. I received a message from someone I knew online that blew me away and gave me an entirely different perspective when it comes to trusting in Jesus. The email said, God must trust you very much to permit you to suffer, trust you to seek the gift, identify the grace. I was floored. The emptiness and pain that my wife and I felt after losing our son was and still is the most intense pain of our lives. And yet in a counterintuitive way, this terrible suffering has helped show just how much Jesus trusts in us. And it's that trust he has in my wife and I that completely freed me to trust him back. If we are permitted to experience suffering, the death of a loved one, struggle with our mental health, physical illness, or all the other ways our lives are filled with pain, it's a sign that Jesus trusts us. He trusts us to identify the grace he's trying to give us through the darkness we find ourselves in. Imagine that. The God who created the universe trusts you and he trusts me. Once we realize that, that God trusts flawed and broken human beings so much, we can start to find a way to trust in him even when everything seems hopeless. Let's pray for Andy and all those trying to put one foot in front of the other despite anxiety, panic, worry. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Next up, Anonymous checks in with a question about therapy. I've been struggling with a very bad bout of depression lately, and I can't seem to find the motivation to do anything beyond the bare minimum, and even that is a struggle. Is it a good idea for me to see a therapist? I'm not sure if they can help me with my inability to function. 
Well, I'm a therapist, so of course I'm going to say seeing a therapist is a good idea, right? But here's the deal. If your depression is to the point where even the bare minimum, like I'm talking about eating, being able to keep up with your hygiene routine, even just being able to get out of bed, if even these bare minimum things are a struggle right now, it's probably a good idea to talk to your doctor about medication. Start with your primary care doc. They're well equipped to get you started. No need to wait to see a psychiatrist because in reality, if you're feeling so depressed that you can't function, the motivation you need to have therapy work well is most likely absent as well. Research shows pretty definitively that medication and therapy is the best approach, beating out therapy alone and beating out meds alone. So I would suggest getting started that way, waiting a couple of weeks, seeing how it helps you, and then start getting involved in therapy at that point. Let's pray for everyone finding it difficult to get up and do the bare minimum because of their depression, that they may find healing, that they may be able to access helping professionals with ease, and that their family and friends may support them every step of the way. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to Saint Hildegard. There isn't enough time in an entire podcast episode to explain the incredible Hildegard of Bingen, not even close. She was an abbess, artist, author, composer, mystic, pharmacist, poet, preacher, and theologian who became a Benedictine nun at the age of 18. Oh, by the way, she'd been having heavenly visions since the age of three, and her confessor ordered her to write them down. It took her 10 years to put it all together, a work now known as Know the Ways in English. It was worth it, though, because Pope Eugene III read her work and told her to keep on writing. She wrote two more masterpieces, over 300 letters to people who asked for her advice, composed works on medicine and physiology, music, artwork, and on and on and on. Her visions led to her seeing humans as living sparks of God's love. And her approach to things obviously led to some controversy. The monks who lived nearby protested her. She confronted the emperor for supporting three anti-popes and even went toe-to-toe with the Cathars. And have you met a Cathar lately? Yeah, I didn't think so. And guess what else, folks? She was named a doctor of the church in 2012 by Pope Benedict XVI. Hildegard is such an incredible example of someone who used her gifts for the Lord, powering through the face of so many doubters. And although she's still relatively unknown throughout the majority of the pews in the church, she stands tall as an inspiration to all of us who face pushback when we're trying to serve the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our gifts. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, so let's go. Oh Lord, you were generous with your gifts of grace to the Virgin Hildegard by following closely her example and teaching. May we pass from darkness of this life into your marvelous light through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. (music) 
Anonymous kicks us off. How would you help someone whose family member is transgender female to male and is now getting surgery? I do still love them and I want to see them, but at other times I don't want to see them after the surgery because my heart is heavy and in so much pain. I've reached out to multiple churches in different dioceses in my state who say they offer resources for LGBTQ Catholics, but it's only ever about the first three letters and never about anything else. Great question and a topic on so many minds and hearts these days. Let's start, as always, by praying for all those experiencing gender dysphoria, all our transgender sister and brothers who face discrimination, and all those family members and friends trying to figure out the best way to love them and walk alongside them. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. So how would I help someone whose family member is getting this surgery? I would listen. I would listen with all my attention, all my compassion, and all my strength, helping them to see that I'm here for them no matter what they need. And if I was that family member, I would love my transgender family member with all my heart. Friends, I know this might not be a popular stance, but I'm going to say it anyways. Love is the answer. As servant of God Dorothy Day once said, love casts out fear, but we have to get over the fear in order to get close enough to love. We have to love everyone we know, everyone we meet, everyone on earth. Christ's words, not mine. We also have to realize when it's time for a discussion about the truths of the faith and when it's time for love, mercy, and Christian witness. There's a time for both, and it's our job to slow down and discern which might be the most effective at any given situation and moment. If we start an argument about the truths of the faith to someone who isn't interested or someone who's already made up their mind, we might lose them forever. If we discern that the time for discussion has passed at least for now we can focus on love compassion and being present finding the living spark of God in each and every person as St. Hildegard was able to do and then feel out when it's appropriate to return to a discussion in the future something that helps me God loves and wants the best for every single person more than I do he loves my spouse more than I do he loves my kids more than I do and he loves my transgender family member and friends more than I do and it helps to remember that and give everything over to him who loves us all best and has his own timing that we can't possibly understand I should note here, I'm not trying to be naive. I know that continuing on in a relationship with someone you've known and loved all your life who finds themselves in these circumstances could be difficult and uncomfortable at times. I don't want to hide that it would be hard, but I want to, sh I want to be sure to underscore the issue of greater importance, that God loves them, that they bear the image and likeness of God, and that they have dignity, worth, and value beyond our wildest imagination. When you're trying your best and you find yourself stuck in discomfort, silently offer up this prayer to implore the Lord's help. Lord, help me to see you in the lives of those closest to me. A different anonymous stopped by to ask, at what point would, does a person consider the relationship with one of their parents is toxic? My mom and me have been suffering through a lot of miscommunication. We were going to joint counseling when the counselor said that she believed that I'm suffering PTSD from my childhood, namely from the relationship with my former stepfather who was an alcoholic and emotionally abusive. My mom doesn't seem to recognize this, even though she was in the room when the counselor said this, and my mom views any attempt to discuss the past as an attack on her status as a mother. 
She views me as disrespectful, and I'm struggling to be around her because it seems to increase my symptoms. First off, I just want to point out how strong you are for getting involved in therapy, especially joint therapy with your mother. I know it isn't easy, but it's so valuable to sit together with a therapist and learn how to communicate in a way that's healthy and getting everyone on the same page. So great work. One of the hard things about therapy is that something might come up that someone just isn't ready to hear, and it seems like that's the case with your mom not currently being able to recognize the toxic relationship you experienced at the hands of your former stepfather, and that's okay. It can take time to be open to hearing a realization, but the helpful thing is that it'll probably be easier for her to hear it from a therapist than if it was just you telling her. There's something about an outside observer that that gives people um, a little bit more openness to hearing, so give it time. I would guess you're already learning this in therapy, but I think some reflective listening would go a long way to helping your mom be able to actually hear what you're saying rather than feeling blamed for being a bad mother, right? So it goes like this. You say, it was really hard to live with my former stepfather. The environment was really emotionally difficult for me. Your mom says, what I'm hearing you say is that I wasn't protective enough as a mother and didn't do a good enough job to keep you safe. And then you get the opportunity to clarify. I can see how you might have heard that, but what I meant was that my former stepfather made it difficult for me to feel safe and at peace, and I feel that he's the one who's to blame, not you. I think you did the best you could at any at the given time, given the circumstances. And then she could hear what you're actually trying to say instead of jumping to conclusions about what she thinks you mean. We all do this. Your mother isn't some bad person for trying to read between the lines. We all do it. And most often, we feel like everyone we're talking to is trying to blame us or call us out for something because our brains are always focused on negativity toward ourselves. This type of reflective listening is a powerful tool to make sure that the person you're talking to hears what you truly mean to say rather than hearing something that wasn't the intention and wasn't your point go with our prayers. Last up, we have Teresa. My almost seven-year-old is most likely about to be diagnosed with early onset bipolar disorder. It makes so much sense with how she describes her thought process. However, she often describes it as the devil sitting on her shoulder and not being able to get him to go away, even though she knows what she is about to do is wrong. Therapy and possibly medication is going to help with the impulse and behavior control, but how do I help my daughter not over-spiritualize her disorder? How do I effectively address the bad behavior due to her mood disorder separately from freely choosing to do the wrong thing? Oh, Teresa, thanks so much for sending this in and know that I'm praying for you, your daughter, and your entire family. Let's start by having everyone listening stop what they're doing and join me in prayer for Teresa and her lovely daughter. Hail, Holy Queen. Mother of mercy, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O holy Mother of God that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. If you listen to this podcast, you know that I like to drop in some definitions to help clarify things for people. And when it comes to bipolar disorder, this is especially worthwhile because the diagnosis itself and simply the term bipolar gets tossed around inappropriately all the time. Okay, so first, bipolar disorder is a mental illness that causes dramatic shifts in a person's mood, 
energy, and ability to think clearly. People with bipolar experience high and low moods known as mania and depression, which differ from the typical ups and downs that most of us experience. The average age of onset is around 25, but it can sometimes occur in the teens and even in childhood. This condition affects men and women equally, with about 2.6 of the overall U.S. population diagnosed. There are three main types of bipolar disorder. Bipolar 1 disorder is an illness in which people have experienced one or more episodes of mania. Most people diagnosed with bipolar 1 will have episodes of both mania and depression, though depression is not necessary for a diagnosis. To be diagnosed with bipolar 1, a person's manic episode must last at least seven days or be so severe that hospitalization is required. Bipolar 2 disorder is an illness which people experience depressive symptoms shifting back and forth with hypomanic episodes, but never a full manic episode. It's kind of like a submania. Cyclothymic disorder, the final one, is a chronically unstable mood in which people experience hypomania and mild depression for at least two years. People with cyclothymia may have brief periods of normal mood, but these last less than eight weeks. Finally, for those wondering what exactly constitutes mania or a manic episode, it's important to know that while someone with bipolar disorder may find their elevated mood appealing, especially if it occurs after a depression, the high does not stop at a comfortable or controllable level. Moods can rapidly become irritable, uh, behavior more unpredictable, and judgment more impaired. During periods of mania, people frequently behave impulsively, make reckless decisions, and take unusual risks. People may become hypersexual, spend more money than usual, uh, or become grandiose, like thinking they're able to do something that's probably beyond their reach at the moment. Most of the time, people in manic states are unaware of the negative consequences of their actions. Shout out to NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, for help with that breakdown. And actually, everyone should know that NAMI is an incredible organization for family members of those suffering from mental illness, and you should look them up in your area. Okay, back to Teresa. How do I help my daughter not over-spiritualize her disorder? How do I effectively address with her bad behavior due to her mood disorder separately from freely choosing to do the wrong thing? These are vitally important questions, and I'm so glad you asked. My best piece of advice for not over-spiritualizing her disorder is to teach your daughter that bipolar disorder is a brain sickness. And just like any other sickness, we don't have to, we don't have complete control over it. We can't think it away. And while God does provide miracles when we pray from time to time, he also works through doctors, therapists, and other helping professionals to help us be well and find the healing and wellness we're searching for. And like physical sickness, we often have to take medicine and get lots of checkups to help us feel better and stay better. We have to remind our children that illness and other difficulties in our lives aren't punishments from God because of something we did or didn't do, but rather opportunities God gives us to shine in a way that's different than some of our friends and family. And we can all learn to use the different things about ourselves, our creativity, our energy, our ability to think outside the box, to glorify God by our life. As far as addressing behavior chosen freely and behavior chosen because in the shifts of mood, uh, this is a bit more complicated. As you continue down this path with your daughter, you'll probably be better able to know when she's experiencing a mood episode because of her mental health. And you'll be able to learn to see the types of choices that she makes because of those mood episodes in comparison to choices that she makes just because she's a kid and kids make the wrong choice all the time. My advice is to be patient with yourself and patient with your daughter as you both learn to navigate all of this moving forward.
Before wrapping up, I have to point out that of all the mental health diagnoses, it's worth noting that bipolar disorder has a really good prognosis. When people find the right medication and the right support, they go on to live incredible lives full of every success that any other person might have. And the fact that your daughter's situation has been diagnosed and is already receiving attention at such a young age, it's just such a blessing because she's going to have such a head start on reaching wellness and figuring all of this out. And obviously, she has a tremendously loving and Christ-focused family, and that's just an absolute winning combo. We'll be praying for you all. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves, take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry, I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.